Wednesday morning, just after our Halloween surfing and spirituality extravaganza, <laughs> our little surf session at Devereaux, in which I surfed wearing a mask from uh, Beauty and the Beast that I stole from Michael. It's good. We all had some masks. But after that fun surfing session, I drove over to my four-year-old son Henry's preschool to witness his Halloween parade. I got the special treat of seeing Mary Beth and Jimmy. There they are right now. But I got to see them in the middle of the day, which does not happen very often in the work week. We all lined up with the other parents uh, waiting for the kids to come out in their costumes. Now, you know, I've spent some time in, in New Orleans and some other fun places in the world where I got to witness parades. I feel like I've got a decent sense of what makes a good parade, like what kind of standards, what a parade can and should be. To call what ensued a parade was a stretch. <laughs> it, was, it was more like a solemn march. These preschoolers walked in dead Silence. I don't know how the teachers got him to do it. <laughs> maybe it was like the costumes, the discomfort of the costumes, or the, the kids. Maybe the teachers just gave him like a really stern talking to. Or I don't know what it was, but every one of these kids walked in a straight line and did not deviate one bit. Still, it was really cute to see them in their little costumes. There was, you know, there was a usual smattering of like princesses and firemen, some superheroes. Two kids, completely independent of one another, were dressed in banana costumes. <laughs> Identical banana costumes. I don't really know what was that, what that was about, but it was really fun. Henry was, uh, was a TIE fighter, you know, the little those, like, spaceship from Star Wars. He had this big balloon thing in his middle and two, two wings on his arms. It was really cute, but it was, it was funny because after the parade, he kept he you know he had this he also had a little like um, uh, mask thing on for like the Tie Fighter pilot, and he kept running around to people and saying "boo," <laughs> which is kind of out of out of character. <laughs> it's interesting how at this time of year we celebrate the spooky. It makes sense, given the liturgical history of all saints and all souls, or Dia de los Muertos, like we celebrated last week, like we talked about this three-day event historically. But we have this time where we ritualize fear. We ritualize fear. And the irony for me is how we pretend fear amidst a time of very real fears. A time when fear inspires the world superpower to deploy 15,000 armed troops to blockade a caravan of unarmed refugees who walk thousands of miles. There's fear of midterm elections, and I sense in this room Fear of midterm exams. There's fear of individuals and fear of communities. Last week, the fear of one man drove him to the Tree of Life congregation, the synagogue near Pittsburgh, where he shot and killed 11 peaceful congregants. It was the worst anti Semitic act 
attack in U.S. history. And on Tuesday, we co-sponsored an event with Hillel at Stork Tower. I know some of you were there. There were politicians there, too. There were teachers. There were students. There were religious teachers, religious folks. A lot of people showed up. A lot of people spoke. But I loved what the Vice Chancellor for Student Affairs, Margaret Clowen, said. She read a letter from George Washington to the Toro Synagogue in Newport, Rhode Island. The synagogue had written to the new president wanting to know if this new country would grant them religious freedom. And here's what Washington said in response. It is now no more that toleration is spoken of as if it were the indulgence of one class of people that another enjoyed the exercise of their inherent national, natural rights. For happily, the government of the United States gives to bigotry no sanction, to persecution no assistance. May the children of the stock of Abraham who dwell in this land continue to merit and enjoy the goodwill of the other inhabitants, while everyone shall sit in safety under his own vine and fig tree, and there shall be none to make him afraid. There shall be none to make you afraid. That is the Jesus way, comforting the afflicted, welcoming the stranger, loving our neighbors. That is what we are called to do. And today Jesus spells it out. Love of God and love of neighbor. That is what matters. That is the simplicity of what we do. Theologian Henry Nouwen describes love of God and neighbor as a process. It is a process of moving from fear to connection, from hostility to hospitality. Now one says, hospitality is the movement in which we become less and less fearful and defensive and more and more open to the other, even when it leads to suffering and death. Less and less fearful and more and more open. Making space for the stranger to transition from enemy to friend. Making space by clearing out our fears. Clearing out our fears. Being less fearful is not some switch that we can just throw. As Nowen describes, it is a process. It takes time and intentionality. It requires naming our fears rather than burying them. It requires practice, habituation, doing something over and over again until it becomes a habit. A few weeks ago, we talked about climber Alex Hunold, who free-souled El Capitan. To most human beings, all but one, that would be impossible. 
Honnold was practiced. He was habituated to it. In the movie that I know a couple of us have seen, Free Solo, uh, they, they have Alex go in there for an MRI and they have him look at, at images that would s- scare most of us to death. And they look back at the imagery and they see that there is no response in his amygdala. It is the result of habituation. When Jesus responds that the most important scripture is love of God, he is not referencing something obscure. He's referencing the Shema, the passage that everyone knows, the passage that everyone recites, the one little bit that everyone has practiced. They have, they have the habit of knowing this. Is habituated in Judean culture to this day. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Ehad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. This passage is known by the first word, Shema. We, we translate this word as, as hear, but it's not just like the auditory sense, it's not a passive term. It it means hear and respond. Hear and obey. Elsewhere in Deuteronomy, in fact, this word is translated simply obey. Obey my commands. For instance, in Deuteronomy 11. I love, I love that the most important call to obedience is identified by hearing. A couple weeks ago, you guys remember, I, I had to leave on the early side and go down and see a friend's wedding, go to a, down to a friend's wedding. I was there, and I saw a bunch of people that I hadn't talked to in a long time. And we were inside, and there's a you know, band playing, and tons of people talking, and they're serving food. And it was really, really hard to hear in there. I was trying to have these conversations with these great old friends, and I really wanted to hear what they had to say, but we couldn't, couldn't hear each other. So we had to go outside. I had to go outside to talk, to make space. Jimmy needs a little space. <laughs> In this Jesus way, we have to make space to hear one another. To make space to hear God's guidance, to hear the Spirit at work. To make space for the stranger, for those who are afraid. Make space for the 7,000 refugees fleeing murder in Honduras. Make space to know the changes in the tide and the phases of the moon. Make space for the 10,000 species that go extinct every year. Make space to live into the reality of connection with all that is and was and is to come. Make space for what you love. What you love with all your heart and all your soul, and all your mind. Make space for God. Amen. Amen.